0: You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. Let's pray. Holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit, before we ever entered into the doors of the sanctuary, you were here. And so we give you this time and this space to be at work, work that you've already prepared to do in us. Open our hearts and our ears and our eyes and our very lives to you that you would Bring this work to completion that we might become more like Jesus. Thank you for loving us and for loving us well. Grant to us now your spirit. This we pray in and through the name of Jesus Christ and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Her name was Jenny. She had a soft heart. She was kind. She wanted to pray for people all the time and would ask, how can I pray for you? What do you need healing for? And she was passionate about the things that she believed. She would often invite people to lunch, and sure enough, one day, three of my colleagues and I got an invitation to join her for lunch, and when we sat down, it kind of started off normal. Normal. I believe in Jesus, I read the Bible, he was a great man, and she went on from there to talk about how we should all be healers, and I thought, you know, all right, maybe that's not exactly the way that I read it, but fair enough, and then she went on from there and began to talk about how the beliefs that we hold, things like Trinity and virgin birth and resurrection and the authority of scriptures, all these things were man-made. They really didn't exist. It was people who decided that these things were true. And that's when I kind of felt like the train had left the tracks. Are you with me? What do you say in that moment? Check, please? You know, I think we've all been there. And she talked about how she had a gift to heal people, and there was a divine spirit that she could call upon. And use crystals and bring healing to folks. And I have to be honest with you, I grew up in a Catholic church, and we just didn't really ever talk about this stuff. But as young as I was in my faith, I recognized something wasn't entirely right. You know, it's funny that Christianity gets branded as being very offensive, and yet every world religion has its own truth claims, doesn't it? What do you do in that moment? And so she asked if we would let her pray and nobody really said anything. And then it got awkwardly silent. She asked again, well, who's going to let me pray for them? Last week, I shared that there is this tension we have in our faith between soft hearts and firm convictions. Jesus lived this. Nobody claimed him. The Romans hated him. The religious authorities, they despised him. The crowds, they just wanted another miracle. The disciples, they all abandoned him, except for John at Good Friday's cross. And Judas was even the one to betray him. And Judas represents this tension that we have in our faith. He, he says things like, um, speak the truth and do it in love. He says that we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. That we're called to love sinners and yet hate the sin And that's what he did all throughout his ministry. You remember the story of Jesus uh, being there and they brought in a woman who had been caught in adultery and they were ready to stone her. And he said to them, let the one who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And we go, yeah, Jesus. And yet we tend to miss the end of the passage where Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin or the one with the rich young ruler who asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what are the commandments? And he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus goes on to talk with him and says, well, there's one thing that you lack. There's one reason that your heart is hard. Even though your convictions are as strong as can be, you have to sell off everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the man went away sad, we're told, because he was a man of great wealth. He had all the firmest convictions in the world, and yet his heart... Was as hard as stone. My interaction with Jenny was an important one for me in my own call and development. What do we do when we're confronted with false teaching? And in a couple of words, do we speak up or do we shut up? And maybe even more, there's a deeper question do we know and are we convinced of what it is that we really believe? The elect lady, just like the world today, has lots of deceivers. Let's take a look at 2 John. I'd love to read this passage for you this morning. Hear the word of God. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Well, like I said, the elect lady, the the church, just like the world today, has lots of deceivers. And if you don't think it matters, it does. And I want to offer you this simple working maxim. You may have heard it from me before. It works like this. What we believe shapes how we behave and determines what we become. It's that simple. What we believe shapes how we behave, and it determines the kind of person that we become. In fact, you can see this maxim work out in the world around you. This is why corporate America revisits its values and mission statement every two years. It used to be a five-year plan, but those of you in the working world know now that it's a two-year plan because things are always shifting, and these values, they shape the business They shape the way the business behaves, the way that it interacts with its customers and clients. And in shaping those interactions, it shapes the kind of business that it's becoming, whether or not people want to work for it, whether people want to do business with you. What you believe or value shapes the way that you behave and the kind of business that you become. The same is true uh, on the athletic field. What you believe about yourself, about your coaches, about your ability, about your game plan—those beliefs shape your behaviors, the way that you practice, the way that you prepare, the way that you train in the off season, and ultimately, this determines the kind of team that you become. And I'm sure, as one of our famous musicians that came out of Saint Luke, can tell you the things that you believe as a musician about yourself shape the way that you practice every day, the way that you behave and prepare, and ultimately the kind of musician that you become? How much more with our faith? I was very fortunate. The last two years of undergraduate college, I had two fantastic mentors who helped me in so many different ways. I worked for a family-owned business. It was an aluminum company. And the first person who was a mentor, his name was Pete. Pete was an Ivy League graduate. And let me tell you, he was the smartest guy in the room. If you didn't know it, you were at the wrong meeting. And so Pete and I, as we drove down the road one day, he's talking to me and sharing pearls of wisdom. He was a little bit older in age at the time. And I'll be honest with you, I was not doing a very good job of active listening in the moment. I had exams and we were preparing for regionals as a golf team. And then all of a sudden, Pete and his pearls of wisdom appeared. He said, here's the deal, Brian, you're young and most people are going to discount what you say because of your youth. But here's the deal. They'll never see you coming if you prepare and are excellent with what you have to share and that will not only give you leverage it will give you an advantage and the other was a person named joe joe was a salesman and my goodness folks this guy could sell he was so good he could sell a ketchup popsicle to a lady in white gloves (laughs) i kid you not And the thing that I loved about Joe was this, that whenever he went into a place, most salespeople look for the decision maker. Of course, he wanted to know who that was, but Joe wanted to shake the hand of every single person on the shop floor because he cared about them, because they commanded respect. And he recognized that in any organization, from the top to the bottom, that every single person matters. They all add something of value to the organization, and they're worthy of being respected. And so Joe would shake hand after hand after hand. It didn't matter what grime they were covered in. From the shop floor, he respected them. He wanted to hear from them. How are our products working? What can we do better? How can I serve you all the more? He taught me the importance and the value of respect and recognizing in any organization, every single person matters. Those values and beliefs have shaped the way that I lead. And I know that you've had mentors in your life and parents and pastors and all kinds of folks who have spoken into your life. And those beliefs or values they've ingrained into you have shaped the way that you behave in life and they have very much affected the person that you've become. And if that's true in this world in which we live, how much more so is it true of our faith? That what we believe, the most important truths of the universe, would shape the way we live every day and ultimately impact the kind of people we become. Well, John says that's exactly the point here. In fact, he shares this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. You see, friends, there's a competition for what you believe. And it happens every single day with the blogs that you read and the YouTube that you watch and the movies that you take in and the television that you consume and the newsreels that you want to check out. It's all a competition for what you believe. And John's point is there's all kinds of deceivers. Well, what's a deceiver? It's somebody who leads you astray somebody who would cause you to doubt the things that you are or the things that you believe that shape the person you've become. That's a deceiver. Now, we've changed the meaning of it in today's world. We just call it gaslighting. Am I close? If I can cause you to doubt the very beliefs that that shape who you are to the foundation and core of who you are, well, I can help you become a very different kind of person. And this isn't the truth. This isn't the unconcealing of the truth, the understanding and uncovering reality as it really is that John shared with us in this message last week. That's deception. There's a fight for what we believe to shape the way that we behave and the people that we're becoming. And what the deceivers in the early church were constantly battling about was this. There were those who would deceive members of the early church to tell them things like Jesus was not born of a virgin, that he didn't rise from the dead, and that he's not coming in the flesh again. And let me tell you, if those are the things that we would believe about Jesus, there is no point in being here this morning. That's no gospel at all. And so John says, be careful. You know, it's funny, we live in this world today and it's been called the information age. I totally agree, are you with me? How many of you feel bombarded by the amount of information you can consume on a daily basis? And everybody says, get my app. I don't want another app. You ever watch somebody try to find the apps anymore? They're doing this for like 10 minutes to try to, get anyway. And it is, it's an information age undoubtedly, but maybe even more so, it's a battleground era For belief, for what we believe, for what we value, which shapes the way that we live or behave in the world, and ultimately the people that we're becoming. And it's no surprise that the bombardment of information is the desire to shape those values and those beliefs that what we have, and it affects everything about business and politics and medicine and culture and yes. Even what we believe, brothers and sisters, as Christian people. And that's why John has three powerful lessons for us today. The first one is simple. When those folks come to deceive you, the first thing he tells us is this. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Keep your convictions firm and be unwavering. When there's something that you hear uh, that involves changing what you believe or what you value, you should test it. You should test what I say every Sunday. Test it. Oh, he's a pastor. Test it. Well, how do I test it, Brian? Well, thankful you've been given some different tools to do it. The first test you should apply is, can I find it in Scripture? Do I find it in Scripture? Does it align with what Scripture teaches? And after you read the scripture, my encouragement is to think of uh, reading those scriptures with a pair of glasses that have trifocal lenses. Those of you who have trifocals, you're on the right team. (laughs) And the first lens that you would read the scripture with is the lens of tradition. My favorite theologians to interact with are really old dead guys. And the older and deader, the better. And you say, I'm not going to read all that junk, Brian. Well, give me like the short version. Here's the short version. Are you ready? You pull out two creeds, make a photocopy, and put them in your Bible, the Apostles and the Nicene Creed. And if it ain't there, it ain't matching what exactly you've been told. And so you move from Scripture to tradition, and the next thing you should use is the lens of reason. Is it reasonable? Does this sound right? I mean, God's pretty reasonable. He asks us to do some pretty crazy things, but God's reasonable. And the final lens that you should use is the lens of experience. And this is the most dangerous one because it's not just any experience, it's trusted experience. The experience of brothers and sisters around you who have walked with you and held you accountable and who submit to what's in Scripture and the traditions of the church and what's reasonable. And if you apply this litmus test of Scripture, then tradition, reason, and experience to the things that are bombarding you, I guarantee you, you can't help but stay connected. And that's the second lesson, friends. Notice what John goes on to say. He says, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This word abides, say it with me, "abides." abides. I love it. It reminds us of John chapter 15. And the image that Jesus gives us is that he's the true vine and his Father is the vine dresser. And if we abide, if we remain connected to God, we can't fall or fail. Well, geez, Brian, I mean, that's pretty deep stuff. What are you talking about abiding? Well, here, I'm going to give you a pat on the back. Are you ready? Everybody go like this. One arm up. You're abiding this morning. Are you with me? I mean, you're here, right? Abiding is remaining connected to Christ, remaining connected to the church, reading scripture, praying, serving, inviting other people. All of these kinds of things are practices, they're behaviors, which follow our beliefs. This is what it is to abide. And the more that we abide, the more we remain connected to the vine, we keep a soft heart and we keep those firm convictions. And the third thing that John would tell us is this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever who greets him takes part in his wicked works. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? I mean, as Christian people, we're called to give hospitality to everybody. But not to those who teach in such a way that compromises doctrine. There's no room for it. Leave it to somebody else who teaches to confront them. Be kind. Be soft-hearted. Hey, that's probably not for me. I appreciate what you believe. I see it a little bit differently. Why? Why does that matter? Well, it's very, very simple. What we believe shapes how we behave and the person we're becoming. And that brings me back to Jenny. She was sincere and kind and soft-hearted, and yet Jenny had been led astray. She'd been deceived. And she was part of a group that was a cult of spirits and spells and idols, a, a Jesus that was very human but not divine. And the hard part about this belief was that if Jenny prayed for somebody and they, wouldn't, they were not healed, it was Jenny's problem. She didn't have enough faith. And that kind of shame will leave you shipwrecked on the road of life. When you think it's all about you and your performance and what you can do, and it's completely void of the grace, mercy, and peace that Jesus brings us, we talked about in John's letter last week. That's where Jenny lived. She'd been misled, and so in the moment, I declined the prayer. But the problem was I had failed because I also didn't talk to her. I just kind of let it sit there. And maybe in many ways, that's one of the reasons I went on for more training, because I think what we believe so deeply matters. Maybe some of you are asking, well, how do I know? How can I interact with people who come with these sorts of beliefs to me and would share them with me? Well, I'm so glad you asked. We're going to start a new teaching series next week on apologetics. And during the season of Lent, take some of the common things that people would share that are not part of our heritage and offer you different ways to interact with folks. See, Jenny's leader called himself a pastor. He was trained at a Methodist seminary, but the truths that he offered were nothing other than deceptive. And that's where the series ends and the new work begins. And St. Luke, here's the beautiful part. We get, and that's the right word, we get to, Walk with people who've been battered by broken beliefs and invite them into a community of people who love well and give them the full gospel. And that's the truth of Jesus Christ, that he came in the flesh. He died on a cross. He rose again on the third day. And his longing for you is not only to forgive you of your sins, but to help you realize that the universe does not revolve around you, and it will take all of the pressure off in your life and help you live into the glorious freedom of what it is to be a child of God. That's what we get to do. And let me tell you, there's folks by the thousands. In fact, I saw it this past Friday night. I don't know if you've heard, but there's a bit of a revival heading uh, down the road there in Wilmore at Asbury University. And the thing that encouraged my heart was to see young person after young person praying, worshiping, witnessing, sharing their faith, and wanting to know more of Jesus Christ in their life. And that's what it's all about. There's a hunger there for the truth. And the reason is so simple. There's so much in the world that's fake. And I don't care if you want to talk about fake news or social media or the metaverse that's coming. It's all about being anyone other than your authentic self. The one whom God created in his image. And so we get to have these conversations. And when we do so, do it with the firmest of convictions, but with the softest of hearts. The way we do that is with a whole lot more questions than statements. Why do you believe that? Why do you value that? Why is that important to you? Help me understand. Those are the things that we get to do. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Because this is a church with soft hearts and firm convictions, a church that loves well. It's who St. Luke is. It's who St. Luke has always been. And it's who St. Luke is always going to be. Get ready. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love, for your faithfulness, for the grace and mercy and peace which are ours in Jesus Christ. And we recognize, God, that there is deceptive teaching in this world. And we pray, God, that you would strengthen us, not just to have soft hearts and have conversations that matter, but to strengthen us with firm convictions that are shared the right way, to speak the truth and to do it in love and to do so at the right time. We recognize from this word you've given us, oh God, that what we believe matters. It shapes the way that we live or behave in the world and it shapes the kind of people we're becoming. And so Jesus, as people who long to follow you, help us become more like you not only in the foundational truths of who we are, but in the way that we live and move in the world. These things we pray in and through the mighty name of Jesus Christ and the people of God said, amen. Let's stand and sing together.